Section four of Red Men and White. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Red Men and White by Owen Wister. Section four The Serenade at Siskiyou. Unskilled at murder, and without training in running away, one of the two Healy boys had been caught with ease soon after their crime. What they had done may be best learned in the following extract from a certain official report. The stage was within five miles of its destination when it was confronted by the usual apparition of a mask man leveling a double-barreled shotgun at the driver and the order to pull up and throw out the express box. The driver promptly complied. Meanwhile the guard, Buck Montgomery, who occupied a seat inside, from which he caught a glimpse of what was going on, opened fire at the robber, who dropped to his knees at the first shot, but a moment later discharged both barrels of his gun at the stage. The driver dropped from his seat to the footboard with five buckshot in his right leg near the knee and two in his left leg. A passenger by his side also dropped with three or four buckshot in his legs. Before the guard could reload, two shots came from behind the bushes back of the exposed robber, and Buck fell to the bottom of the stage, mortally wounded, shot through the back. The whole murderous sally occupied but a few seconds, and the order came to drive on. Officers and citizens quickly started in pursuit, and the next day one of the robbers, a well-known young man of that vicinity, son of a respectable farmer in Fresno County, was overtaken and arrested. Feeling had run high in the streets of Siskiyou when the prisoner was brought into town, and the wretch's life had come near a violent end at the hands of the mob, for Buck Montgomery had many friends. But the steadier citizens preserved the peace, and the murderer was in the prison awaiting his trial by formal law. It was now some weeks since the tragedy, and Judge Campbell sat at breakfast reading his paper. "'Why, that is excellent!' he suddenly exclaimed. "'May I ask what is excellent, Judge?' inquired his wife. She had a big nose. "'They've caught the other one, Amanda. Got him last evening in a restaurant at Woodland.' The judge read the paragraph to Mrs. Campbell, who listened severely. "'And so,' he concluded, "'when tonight's train gets up, we'll have them both safe in jail.' Mrs. Campbell dallied over her eggs, shaking her head. Presently she sighed, but as Amanda often did this, her husband finished his own eggs and took some more. "'Poor boy,' said the lady pensively, "'only twenty-three last twelfth of October. What a cruel fate!' Now the judge supposed she referred to the murdered man. "'Yes,' he said, "'vile. You've got him romantically young, my dear. I understood he was thirty-five. I know his age perfectly, Judge Campbell. I made it my business to find out, and to think his brother might actually have been lynched. I never knew that, either. You seem to have found out all about the family, Amanda. 
what were they going to lynch the brother for the ample lady folded her fat middle-aged hands on the edge of the table and eyed her husband with bland displeasure judge campbell she uttered and her lips shut wide and firm she would restrain herself if possible well my dear you ask me that you pretend ignorance of that disgraceful scene who was it said to me right in the street that he disapproved of lynching i ask you judge who was it right there at the jail oh said the enlightened judge right at the left-hand side of the door of the jail in this town of siskiyou who was it got that trembling boy safe inside from those yelling fiends and talked to the crowd on a barrel of number ten nails and made those wicked men stop and go home amanda i believe i recognize myself i should think you did judge campbell and now they've caught the other one and he'll be up with the sheriff on tonight's train and i suppose they'll lynch him now there's not the slightest danger said the judge the town wants them to have a fair trial it was natural that immediately after such an atrocious act those poor boys had never murdered anybody before in their lives interrupted amanda but they did murder montgomery you will admit oh yes said mrs campbell with impatience i saw the hole in his back you needn't tell me all that again if he'd thrown out the express box quicker they wouldn't have hurt a hair of his head wells and fargo's messengers know that perfectly it was his own fault those boys had no employment and they only wanted money they did not seek human blood and you needn't tell me they did they shed it however amanda quite a lot of it stage driver and a passenger too yes you keep going back to that as if they'd all been murdered instead of only one and you don't care about those two poor boys locked in a dungeon and their gray-haired father down in fresno county who never did anything wrong at all and he sixty-one in december the county isn't thinking of hanging the old gentleman said the judge that will do judge campbell said his wife rising i shall say no more total silence for the present is best for you and best for me much best i will leave you to think of your speech which was by no means silver not even life with you for twenty-five years this coming tenth of july has inured me to insult i am capable of understanding whom they think of hanging and your speaking to me as if i did not does you little credit for it was a mere refuge from a woman's just accusation of heartlessness which you felt and like a man would not acknowledge and therefore it is that i say no more but leave you to go down the street to the ladies lyceum where i shall find companions with some spark of humanity in their bosoms and milk of human kindness for those whose hasty youth has plunged them in misery and delivered them to the hands of those who treat them as if they were stones and sticks full of nothing but monstrosity instead of breathing men like themselves to be shielded by brotherhood and hope and not dashed down by cruelty and despair 
It had begun stately as a dome, with symmetry and punctuation, but the climax was untrammeled by a single comma. The orator swept from the room, put on her bonnet and shawl, and the judge, still sitting with his eggs, heard the front door close behind her. She was president of the Ladies' Reform and Literary Lyceum, and she now trod thitherward through Siskiyou. "'I think Amanda will find companions there,' mused the judge, but her notions of sympathy beat me. The judge had a small, wise blue eye, and he liked his wife more than well. She was sincerely good, and had been very courageous in their young days of poverty. She loved their son, and she loved him. Only, when she took to talking, he turned up a mental coat-collar and waited. But if the male sex did not appreciate her powers of eloquence, her sister citizens did, and Mrs. Campbell, besides presiding at the Ladies' Reform and Literary Lyceum in Siskiyou, often addressed female meetings in Ashland, Wairika, and even as far away as Tahama and Reading. She found companions this morning. "'To think of it!' they exclaimed at her news of the capture, for none had read the paper. They had been too busy talking of the next debate, which was upon the question, Ought we to pray for rain? But now they instantly forgot the wide spiritual issues raised by this inquiry, and plunged into the fascinations of crime, reciting once more to each other the details of the recent tragedy. The room hired for the Lyceum was in a second story above the apothecary and bookshop a combined enterprise in Siskiyou, and was furnished with fourteen rocking-chairs. Pictures of Mount Shasta and Lucretia Mott ornamented the wall, with a photograph from an old master representing Leda and the Swan. This typified the Lyceum's approval of art, and had been presented by one of the husbands upon returning from a three-day's business trip to San Francisco. "'Dear, dear,' said Mrs. Parsons, after they had all shuddered anew over the shooting and the blood, "'with so much suffering in the world, how fulsome seems that gay music!' She referred to the Siskiyou brass band, which was rehearsing the march from Fatanitsa in an adjacent room in the building. Mrs. Parsons had large mournful eyes, a poetic vocabulary, and wanted to be president of the Lyceum herself. "'Melody has its sphere, Gertrude,' said Mrs. Campbell, in a wholesome voice. "'We must not be morbid. But this I say to you, one and all, since the men of Siskiyou refuse, it is for the women to vindicate the town's humanity and show some sympathy for the captive who arrives to-night.' They all thought so, too. I do not criticize, continued their president magnanimously, nor do I complain of any one. Each in this world has his or her mission, and the most sacred is woman's own, to console. True, true, murmured Mrs. Slocum. We must do something for the prisoner, to show him we do not desert him in his hour of need, Mrs. Campbell continued. "'We'll go and meet the train,' Mrs. Slocum exclaimed eagerly. "'I've never seen a real murderer.' 
"'A bunch of flowers for him,' said Mrs. Parsons, closing her mournful eyes. "'Roses,' and she smiled faintly. "'Oh, lilies!' cried little Mrs. Day with rapture. "'Lilies would look real nice.' "'Don't you think,' said Miss Sissons, who had not spoken before, and sat a little apart from the close-drawn clump of talkers, that we might send the widow some flowers, too, sometime?' Miss Sissons was a pretty girl, with neat hair. She was engaged to the captain of Siskiyou's baseball nine. "'The widow?' Mrs. Campbell looked vague. "'Mrs. Montgomery, I mean, the murdered man's wife.' "'I... I went to see if I could do anything, for she has some children. But she wouldn't see me,' said Miss Sissons. She said she couldn't talk to anybody. "'Poor thing,' said Mrs. Campbell. I dare say it was a dreadful shock to her. Yes, dear, we'll attend to her after a while. We'll have her with us right along, you know, whereas these unhappy boys may, may be, may soon meet a cruel death on the scaffold. Mrs. Campbell evaded the phrase, may be hanged, rather skillfully. To her trained oratorical sense it had seemed to lack dignity. "'So young,' said Mrs. Day. "'And both so full of promise to be cut off,' said Mrs. Parsons. "'Why, they can't hang them both, I should think,' said Miss Sissons. "'I thought only one killed Mr. Montgomery.' "'My dear Louise,' said Mrs. Campbell, "'they can do anything they want, and they will. "'Shall I ever forget those ruffians who wanted to lynch the first one? "'They'll be on the jury.' The clump returned to their discussion of the flowers, and Miss Sissons presently mentioned she had some errands to do and departed. "'Would that that girl had more soul,' said Mrs. Parsons. "'She has plenty of soul,' replied Mrs. Campbell, "'but she's under the influence of a man. Well, as I was saying, roses and lilies are too big.' "'Oh, why?' said Mrs. Day. "'They would please him so.' He couldn't carry them, Mrs. Day. I've thought it all out. He'll be walked to the jail between strong men. We must have some small bouquet to pin on his coat, for his hands will be shackled. You don't say, cried Mrs. Slocum. How awful! Oh, I must get to the train. I've never seen a man in shackles in my life. So violets were selected. Mrs. Campbell brought some in the afternoon from her own boarders, and Mrs. Parsons furnished a large pin. She claimed also the right to affix the decoration upon the prisoner's breast, because she had suggested the idea of flowers. But the other ladies protested, and the President seemed to think that they all should draw lots. It fell to Mrs. Day. "'Now I declare,' twittered the little matron, I do believe I'll never dare. You must say something to him, said Amanda, something fitting and choice. Oh, dear, no, Mrs. Campbell, why, I never, my, my gracious, why, if I'd known I was expected, re really, I, I couldn't think I'll, I'll, I'll let you do it. We can't hash up the ceremony that way, Mrs. Day, said Amanda severely and, as they all fell arguing, the whistle blew. "'There,' said Mrs. Slocum. 
Now you've made me late, and I'll miss the shackles and everything. She flew downstairs, and immediately the town of Siskiyou saw twelve members of the Ladies' Reform and Literary Lyceum follow her in a hasty phalanx across the square to the station. The train approached slowly up the grade, and by the time the wide smokestack of the locomotive was puffing its wood smoke in clouds along the platform, Amanda had marshaled her company there. "'Where's the gals all goin', Bill?' inquired a large citizen in boots of the ticket agent. "'Nowheres, I guess, Abe,' the agent replied. "'Leastways, they ain't bought any tickets off me.' "'Maybe they're for stealin' a ride,' said Abe. The mail and baggage cars had passed, and the women watched the smoking car that drew up opposite them. Mrs. Campbell had informed her friends that the sheriff always went in the smoker. But on this occasion, for some reason, he had brought his prisoner in the Pullman sleeper at the rear, some way down the track, and Amanda's vigilant eye suddenly caught the group already descended and walking away. The platoon of sympathy set off, and rapidly came up with the sheriff, while Bill, Abe, the train conductor, the Pullman conductor, the engineer, and the fireman abandoned their duty and stared in company with the brakeman and many passengers. There was perfect silence but for the pumping of the air-brake on the engine. The sheriff, not understanding what was coming, had half-drawn his pistol. But now, surrounded by universal petticoats, he pulled off his hat and grinned doubtfully. The friend with him also stood bareheaded and grinning. He was young Jim Hornbrook the muscular betrothed of Miss Sissons. The prisoner could not remove his hat, or he would have done so. Miss Sissons, who had come to the train to meet her lover, was laughing extremely in the middle of the road. "'Take these violets,' faltered Mrs. Day, and held out the bunch, backing away slightly at the same time. "'Nonsense,' said Amanda, stepping forward and grasping the flowers. The women of Siskiyou are with you, she said, as we are with all the afflicted. Then she pinned the violets firmly to the prisoner's flannel shirt. His face, at first amazed as the sheriffs and Hornbrooks, smoothed into cunning and vanity, while Hornbrooks turned an angry red, and the sheriff stopped grinning. Them flowers will look better on Buck Montgomery's grave, madam, said the officer. Maybe you'll let us pass now. They went on to the jail. Well, said Abe on the platform, that's the most disgustin' fool thing I ever did see. All aboard, said the conductor, and the long train continued its way to Portland. The platoon, well content, dispersed homeward to supper, and Jim Hornbrook walked home with his girl. "'For Lord's sake, Louise,' he said, "'who started that move?' She told him the history of the morning. "'Well,' he said, "'you tell Mrs. Campbell, with my respects, "'that she's just playing with fire. "'A good woman like her ought to have more sense. "'Those men are going to have a fair trial.' "'She wouldn't listen to me, Jim, not a bit. "'And do you know, she really didn't seem to feel sorry, "'except just for a minute.' about that poor woman. 
Louise, why don't you quit her outfit? Resign from the Lyceum? That's so silly of you, Jim. We're not all crazy there. And that, said Miss Sissons demurely, is what makes a girl like me so valuable. Well, I'm not stuck on having you travel with that lot. They speak better English than you do, Jim, dear. Don't. In the street. Sure, it's dark now, said Jim, and it's been three whole days since— But Miss Sissons escaped inside her gate and rang the bell. Now, see here, Louise, he called after her. When I say they're playing with fire, I mean it. That woman will make trouble in this town. She's not afraid, said Miss Sissons. Don't you know enough about us yet to know we can't be threatened? You, said the young man, I wasn't thinking of you. And so they separated. Mrs. Campbell sat opposite the judge at supper, and he saw at once from her complacent reticence that she had achieved some triumph against his principles. She chatted about topics of the day in terms that were ingeniously trite. Then a letter came from their son in Denver, and she forgot her role somewhat, and read the letter aloud to the judge, and wondered wistfully who in Denver attended to the boy's buttons and socks. But she made no reference whatever to Siskiyou Jail or those inside it. Next morning, however, it was the judge's turn to be angry. "'Amanda,' he said over the paper again, "'you had better stick to socks and leave criminals alone.' Amanda gazed at space with a calm smile. "'And I'll tell you one thing, my dear,' her husband said more incisively. "'It don't look well that I should represent the law while my wife figures—he shook the morning paper—as a public nuisance. And one thing more, look out, for if I know this community, and I think I do, you may raise something you don't bargain for.' "'I can take care of myself, Judge,' said Amanda, always smiling. These two never were angry both at once, and to-day it was the judge that sailed out of the house. Amanda pounced instantly upon the paper. The article was headed, Sweet Violets, but the editorial satire only spurred the lady to higher efforts. She proceeded to the Lyceum, and found that Sweet Violets had been there before her. Every woman held a copy, and the fourteen rocking-chairs were swooping up and down like things in a factory. In the presence of this blizzard, Mount Shasta, Lucretia Mott, and even Leda and the Swan looked singularly serene on their wall, although on the other side of the wall the Fatanitsa march was booming brilliantly. But Amanda quieted the storm. It was her gift to be calm when others were not, and soon the rocking-chairs were merely rippling. "'The way my boys scolded me,' began Mrs. Day. "'For men I care not,' said Mrs. Parsons. "'But when my own sister upbraids me in a public place—' The lady's voice ceased, and she raised her mournful eyes. It seemed she had encountered her unnatural relative at the post-office. Everybody had a tale similar. Siskiyou had denounced their humane act. "'Let them act ugly,' said Mrs. Slocum. "'We will not swerve.' "'I sent roses this morning,' said Mrs. Parsons. "'Did you, dear?' said Mrs. Day. 
My lilies shall go this afternoon. Here is a letter from the prisoner, said Amanda, producing the treasure, and they huddled to hear it. It was very affecting. It mentioned the violets blooming beside the hard couch, and spoke of prayer. He had lovely hair, said Mrs. Slocum. So brown, said Mrs. Day. Black, my dear, and curly. Light brown. I was a good deal closer, Susan. Never mind about his hair, said Amanda. We are here not to flinch. We must act. Our course is chosen, and well chosen. The prison fare is a sin, and a beefsteak goes to them both at noon from my house. Oh, why didn't we ever think of that before? cried the ladies in an ecstasy, and fell to planning a series of lunches in spite of what Siskiyou might say or do. Siskiyou did not say very much, but it looked, and the ladies waxed more enthusiastic, luxuriating in a sense of martyrdom because now the prisoners were stopped writing any more letters to them. This was doubtless a high-handed step, and it set certain pulpits preaching about love. The day set for the trial was approaching. Amanda and her flock were going. Prayer meetings were held, food and flowers for the two in jail increased in volume, and every day saw some of the lyceum waiting below the prisoners' barred windows till the men inside would thrust a hand through and wave to them. Then they would shake a handkerchief in reply, and go away thrilled to talk it over at the lyceum. And Siskiyou looked on all the while, darker and darker. Then, finally, Amanda had a great thought. Listening to Fatanitza one morning, she suddenly arose and visited Herr Schwartz, the bandmaster. Herr Schwartz was a wise and well-educated German. They had a lengthy conference. I don't believe that will be very good, said the bandmaster. But at that Amanda talked a good deal, and the worthy Teuton was soon bewildered, and at last gave a dubious consent. Since it would please the ladies. The president of the Lyceum arranged the coming event after her own heart. The voice of woman should speak in Siskiyou. The helpless victims of male prejudice and the law of the land were to be flanked with consolation and encouragement upon the eve of their ordeal in court. In their lonely cell they were to feel that there were those outside whose hearts beat with theirs. The floral tribute was to be sumptuous, and Amanda had sent to San Francisco for pound cake. The special quality she desired could not be achieved by the Siskiyou confectioner. Miss Sissons was not a party to this enterprise, and she told its various details to Jim Hornbrook, half in anger, half in derision. He listened without comment, and his face frightened her a little. "'Jim, what's the matter?' said she. "'Are you going to be at that circus?' he inquired. I thought I might just look on, you know, said Miss Sissons. Mrs. Campbell and a, a brass band. You'll stay in the house that night, Louise. Why, the ring isn't on my finger yet, laughed the girl, the fatal promise of obedience. But she stopped, perceiving her joke was not a good one. 
of course jim if you feel that way she finished only i'm grown up and i like reasons well that's all right too oh all right thank you sir dear me why it ain't to please me louise indeed it ain't i can't swear everything won't be nice and all right and what a woman could be mixed up in but well how should you know what men are anyway when they've been a good long time getting mad and are mad all through that's what this town is to-day louise i don't know said miss sissons and i'm sure i'd rather not know and so she gave her promise but i shouldn't suppose she added that the men of siskiyou mad or not would forget that women are women jim laughed oh no he said they ain't going to forget that the appointed day came and the train came several hours late bearing the box of confectionery addressed to the ladies reform and literary lyceum bill the ticket agent held his lantern over it on the platform that's the cake said he what cake abe inquired bill told him the rumor cake repeated abe for them and he tilted his head towards the jail will you say that again friend i ain't clear about it cake did you say pound cake said bill ordered special from san francisco now pound cake for adults is considered harmless but it is curious how unwholesome a harmless thing can be if administered at the wrong time the gaunt savage-looking californian went up to the box slowly then he kicked it lightly with his big boot seeming to listen to its reverberation then he read the address then he sat down on the box to take a think after a time he began speaking aloud they hold up a stage he said slowly they lay up a passenger for a month and they lame bob griffiths for life and they do up buck shoot a hole through his spine and i helped bury him for i liked buck the speaker paused and looked at the box then he got up i hain't attended their prayer meetin said he and i hain't smelt their flowers such perfumes liable to make me throw up but i guess i'll have a look at their cake he went to the baggage room and brought an axe the axe descended and a splintered slat flew across the platform there's a lot of cake said abe the top of the packing case crashed on the railroad track and three new men gathered to look on it's fresh cake too remarked the destroyer the box now fell to pieces and the tattered paper wrapping was ripped away step up boys said abe for a little crowd was there now soft ain't it they slung the cake about and tramped it in the grime and oil and the boards of the box were torn apart and whirled away there was a singular and growing impulse about all this no one said anything they were very quiet yet the crowd grew quickly as if called together by something in the air one voice said don't forget we're all relying on your serenade mark 
and this raised a strange united laugh that broke brief and loud and stopped, leaving the silence deeper than before. Mark and three more left and walked towards the Lyceum. They were members of the Siskiyou band, and as they went, one said that the town would see an interesting trial in the morning. Soon after they had gone, the crowd moved from the station, compact and swift. Meanwhile, the Lyceum had been having disappointments. When the train was known to be late, Amanda had abandoned bestowing the cake until morning. But now a horrid thing had happened. The Siskiyou band refused its services. The rocking chairs were plying strenuously, but Amanda strode up and down in front of Mount Shasta and Lucretia Mott. Herr Schwartz entered. "'It's all right, madam,' said he. "'My trombone have come back, und—' "'You'll play?' demanded the president. "'We play for the ladies.' The rocking-chairs were abandoned. The lyceum put on its bonnet and shawl, and marshalled downstairs with the band. "'Ready,' said Amanda. "'Ready,' said Herr Schwartz to his musicians. "'Go a little easy mit der allegro, and we bust fatanitza.' The spirited strains were lifted in Siskiyou, and the procession was soon at the jail in excellent order. They came round the corner with the trombone going as well as possible. Two jerking bodies dangled at the end of ropes above the flare of torches. Amanda and her flock were shrieking. "'So!' exclaimed Herr Schwartz. "'Dot was those Healy boys we have come to give serenade.' He signed to stop the music. "'No, you don't,' said two of the masked crowd, closing in with pistols. "'You'll play for them fellers till you're told to quit.' "'Certainly,' said the philosophical Teuton. "'Only they give probably very little attention to our allegro.' So Fatanitza trumpeted on while the two on the ropes twisted and grew still by and by. Then the masked men let the band go home. The Lyceum had scattered and fled long since, and many days passed before it revived again to civic usefulness. Nor did its members find comfort from their men. Herr Schwartz gave a parting look at the bodies of the lynched murderers. My, said he, das ewig weibliche haftradem geprüft, sure enough. Miss Sissons next day was walking and talking off her shock and excitement with her lover. And, oh, Jim, she concluded, after they had said a good many things, you hadn't anything to do with it, had you? The young man did not reply, and catching a certain expression on his face, she hastily exclaimed, Never mind, I don't want to know, ever. So James Hornbrook kissed his sweetheart for saying that and they continued their walk among the pleasant hills. End of section 4